Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Amen. Would you go ahead and grab your copy of Scripture and turn to the book of Judges, chapter 14. Judges chapter 14 will be there this Sunday and the following two Sundays. Judges chapter 14, you can keep a bookmark there. As you're turning to Judges chapter 14, just listen. I'm going to read some of Proverbs chapter 3. So Judges 14, I'll meet you there in a minute. You just listen. This is my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. This is God's word for us this morning. Let me pray and we'll get started. Father God, you are so gracious. And we thank you and we rejoice in that. God, you're so kind and generous to us. You give us what we don't deserve. And we thank you. And Father, we thank you that we live in a free country. Uh, Father, we thank you for the men and women who have fought to preserve that for us. And we thank you for the freedom to gather in this place, to sing to you, and to open your word. And I pray now at the preaching of your word, your people would be fed and you would be glorified. And we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. And as I said, we'll be here for the, I'll be here for the next two Sundays after this. We're going through the life of Samson uh, this summer here in July. Let me begin this way. All over media for the last really 20 years or so, we've seen this trend of prequels. Right? Like Hollywood has kind of run out of ideas and so they're like, well, let's, let's tell the beginning story, right? And they'll, they'll, they'll announce a prequel for something and they'll always say that same, they'll be like, you know how the story ends. Now see how it all began or, you know, whatever, something like that, right? And so uh, let's look at some examples of prequels. And here's the thing, I'm not endorsing any of these. I'm just saying these are examples of, right? So like in film, uh, you had the original Star Wars back in 1977. And then in 1999, The Phantom Menace, uh, if you care to acknowledge that at all. Uh, In books, 2008, you had a very successful book, The Hunger Games. Well, then in 2020, they're going back in time, prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. TV shows, 2008, uh, Breaking Bad becomes very popular. 2015, they're like, okay, we'll do a prequel of sorts, uh, Better Call Saul. Uh, Even video games have gotten in on this, right? Uh, In 2010, there was a game called Red Dead Redemption. It was popular. In 2018, they did Red Dead Redemption 2, which was a prequel in the gaming world. And in 2001, a game called Halo Combat Evolved came out. And then in 2010, they did a prequel to it called Halo Reach, right? And we could go on and on and on, right? I think the latest one I saw was like the Yellowstone and then 1917 and... 1820, and I've lost track, right? There's prequels everywhere. It's a huge part of culture. Well, here's the thing. We're going to be jumping into the life of Samson, and if we were to kind of play like a word association game, the life of Samson, if I were to say Samson, 
And what's the first thing that comes to your mind? A couple common answers we might get would be strong, maybe Delilah, maybe hair, right? Then those, those would be fine. If you're aware of his story at all, those are, those are correct answers. You're not wrong by saying that. Um, but today in Judges 14, I think this is his prequel story. Um, chapter, the chapter we're looking at today takes place 20 years before the events of Samson and Delilah. And what I think you're going to see today is that some of his greatest failings could have been avoided. He encounters things here as a younger man that he has the opportunity to deal with, but he doesn't take advantage, and it's going to cost him later in life. And so he's going to end up falling down this slippery slope of sin, and we're going to see that happen. A pastor named Stephen Olford says it this way, the greatest sins don't leap upon us, they creep upon us. In other words, you may think you're at the top of a mountain, but man, you start to slide down. It's a slippery slope of sin, and that's sin starts small and it grows over time, and that's what we're going to see with Samson. And today, though, we have a chance to get some wisdom here. I've titled the message, How to Sidestep, or Sidestep, the Slippery Slope of Sin, because that's the wisdom we can take away from Judges 14. Samson was raised in a godly manner by godly parents. We looked at that in May, if you were here. Um, But as he steps into his young adult years, he's about to make some choices that are going to affect him the rest of his life. And if we're wise, we can listen to Scripture and gain wisdom for our own life. Three things we can see today about how to sidestep the slippery slope of sin. Number one, you go to war, not weddings. Number two, you go for growth, not gambling. And number three, you go to the groom who is gracious. Additionally, I'll give you a content recommendation here as well. It's a song called Ghost by the band uh, The Classic Crime off of their album How to Be Human. I think it really parallels the life of young Samson, and I would commend that to you. All right, let's get started. First, go to war, not weddings. You're there in Judges 14. Follow along with me. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me. Samson here trying to take a Philistine wife, a wife from the enemy of his people, is about to take his first step down the slippery slope of sin. In 1993, there was this comedy movie called What About Bob? And in that film, um, a very hyper-controlling perfectionist doctor has a patient who's very needy, whose name is Bob. Let's watch a short interaction between them. Thank you. 
Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. I've seen parents deal with that in the grocery store before with their little kids. <laughs> give me, give me, give me. I need, I need. I think that sums up Samson's attitude right here. As a young man stepping out into adulthood, he's saying, man, I, I, that's what I want. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. Think about this. I, I, this is my theory. It's not whatever, but you can take it for what it's worth. I think Samson begins his life with more advantages than maybe any other character in the Old Testament. Wrote some of them down here, right? Some of the advantages in his life. Number one, Jesus prophesies over his life. That's in Judges 13. We covered that in May. He's got great parents who love the Lord, who obey the Lord. He's gifted by God with immense, unequaled power. He's this incredible warrior who, in the hands of God, is unstoppable. Man, he's got all this stuff going for him, but right off the bat, Samson's first actions as a young adult man has him going the wrong way. Now note this, let me remind you of this, one step towards sin is not nothing. Be vigilant, repent quickly, for sin always leads to destruction, and the end can come quicker than you think. I recommended that song, Ghost, to you uh, to go along with this sermon. I want to read you some of the lyrics to that song, because it talks about a young man making poor choices in his relationships with women. It says this, the song says, a young man lacking sense pushes on to consequence. He lives to feed his flesh. The scavengers will clean up what is left. She's a harlot, simple and persuasive. With seduction, she always gets her way. Her bed will be his early grave. That comes right out of Proverbs chapter 7. Where Proverbs is giving counsel to a young man, it says this, I saw among the naive and discern among the youths a young man lacking sense. And it talks about how he makes these wrong choices with women. And it talks about in verse 22, the result. It says, suddenly he follows her as an ox to the slaughter, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Simple point is this, to go outside of God's plan for marriage and relationships is to lack sense. It's to be foolish, it's to be stupid, it's dangerous, it's deadly. And this is the exact path that Samson is going. Israel is currently being dominated, being ruled by the Philistines. They're the enemies. Samson is called to be a judge, not like a judicial judge like we think, not like Judge Judy or any of that kind of stuff. A judge in this time was to be a military champion, a leader. That's what he's called to be, to deliver Israel from the Philistines, and what's he trying to do? He's trying to marry one of them. Think about the prophecy over his life, right? Jesus in Judges 13 says, man, he's going to be the one to start to deliver Israel. And what does young Samson do? He comes on the scene and he says, I like the way that Philistine woman looks. Get her for my wife. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. One pastor says it this way, bold before men, Samson was weak before women and couldn't resist telling them his secrets. Empowered by the Spirit of God, he yielded his body to the appetites of the flesh. Called to declare war on the Philistines, he fraternized with the enemy and even tried to marry a Philistine woman. So let's take his choices and break it down a little bit more in detail. The choices Samson makes. Number one, he's in the wrong place. He's looking for a wife in enemy territory. Not good. He uses wrong judgment. He says, I saw her. In other words, he's only going by physical attraction. He knows nothing of this woman. He has the wrong plan. He tells his parents, get her for me. 
for the wrong reason, because she looks good to me. It's going to lead to a wrong result. It's going to be a disgrace to his parents and Israel, and it's going to lead to a wrong path established. You're going to see this pattern continue in Samson's life as we go through it. I wonder how many moments of temptation and sin begin for us that way today. You're in the wrong place, all alone. Wrong judgment. I see this on my phone. Wrong plan. Well, no one's going to find out about it for the wrong reason. He, she, that product, that lifestyle, whatever they have, it looks good to me. I want it. It's going to lead to the wrong result, shame and defeat, and a wrong pattern established. Samson wants to go to a wedding. He should go to war. He should be fighting this. He should be running from this. And it's the same call for us as Christians. Don't take one step forward to the slippery slope of sin. Don't play around with that. Don't fall in love with the things of this world. Don't marry the things that keep you from God. First John 2 says it this way, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. James 4, 4 says it this way, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You're called to run from those things, to go to war, not weddings. So let's get real. Um, two of the biggest struggle points or temptation points for Christians, for all the world, but for us too, is, is lust and envy. And you know this, our culture specializes in these two things. The world you live in will provide ample opportunities to engage in lust or envy, go to war not weddings. There's a lot we could say here. I'll just give you one simple tactic today. Number one, it's this, guard your eyes. What is it that most often entices you towards those things? What's the, what are the things that when you see it pulls you towards that slippery slope of sin? Okay, make war against it, not friendship. Psalm 119 says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your ways. Deuteronomy 6, 18 says, you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you. All those verses, and we could list so many more, connect what you see to how you walk in obedience. If you're seeing the scriptures, if you're in his word, you'll walk in obedience. We could say it this way, starve your eyes of sinful situations, see the scriptures instead. That's not a total answer for how to deal with that, but it's a starting point. The, mind, the mindset, though, is to battle it, not befriend it. Questions to consider, in what areas of my life have I grown too comfortable with sin? Where am I going to weddings and compromise instead of to holiness and obedience? How will this week be different in regards to the temptations I face the most? Who are the people who want to see me grow in Christ, and how can I seek their support? So first, you go to war, not wedding. Secondly, you go for growth, not gambling. Go with me to verse 5. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. Drop down to verse 10. 
Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Verse 12, Samson said to them, let me now propound a riddle to you. If you indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. Uh, I grew up as a child of the 80s and 90s. That means I got to see some of the best montages ever put on film. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, uh, for whatever reason, like it was just, you had to put a training montage in your films, right? And I'm not mad about it, right? Like Luke training with Yoda, Daniel's son with Mr. Miyagi. My personal favorite, Rocky IV. Um, Really, the whole movie is a training montage. Uh, it's awesome. There's even a montage where you see not just the hero training, but the villain. It's dueling montage. It's amazing. It's groundbreaking. And I, I love it. You know, it's one of, the, one of the cool things that a montage can do. It can show change in a fun, inspiring way. Like, what's, what's the montage process? I think it's three steps, right? First, hero can't do thing. But then Hero trains, he discovers, he learns, he chops wood in the snow, he runs up a mountain, right? And then, ta-da, Hero can do thing, Ugh! right? Don't you love a good montage? Amen. Thank you. Uh, I knew the Lord was in this house today. Uh, what we just saw in Judges 14, this should have been the training montage of Samson's life. Did you catch what just happened? He was attacked by a bear, and he destroyed it with his, with his bare hands. I'm sorry, I said bear, a lion. He's attacked by a lion, and he destroys it with his bare hands. There we go. That's amazing, right? Like, think about that. The Spirit of the Lord, not his hair, the Spirit of the Lord mightily strengthens Samson. He destroys a lion with his bare hands. He tells no one, and he goes to talk to his woman instead. Man, this was a potential-packed moment for Samson, and I think he missed it. Think of it this way. Without even seeking it out, Samson gets to experience the power and the victory available through God. The wind versus the lion should have led to winds versus the Philistines. God just gave him victory over a lion with his bare hands to show him, Samson, when I'm with you, we can do this. It should have been his training montage. Samson ignores it. That's a great loss on his part. I want to show you a character who does seize almost the exact same moment for good purposes. Think about 1 Samuel 17. Goliath, a Philistine champion, Goliath is challenging. He's taunting the armies of Israel. No one's brave enough to fight him. A young boy, a young boy, David, says, I'll take him on. And King Saul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he starts to question him in verse 33. Then Saul said to, David, said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. He's been a warrior from his youth. Look at David's response here. Verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the, the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Look at this. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Whoa. Here's a young man about to face Philistines, the same enemy, and he says, look, this is, I've been here before. 
God has already shown me this, right? How did David view his victory over the lion? We could say that David, he said, man, it was provided by God. And it's a preview of greater victories that are coming. It's something we're testifying about, and it's given him confidence in his battle against the Philistines. This is what it should have been for Samson. How does Samson view his victory over the lion? He says, man, it's nothing special. It's not connected to God's plan. It's not worth mentioning. He doesn't even tell his parents. And it's forgotten in his conflict with the Philistines. Samson missed out on an incredible growth moment. God wanted to show him the mighty power that he could have. Instead, he goes back to his enemies and he starts to gamble right before he's going to get married. He puts out a, a riddle and he puts the stakes. He says, all right, if, if you can answer my riddle, here's the stakes. It's going to be 30 outfits and 30 garments. A really, it's a really expensive pot, if you will. When he should have been growing, he's gambling. When he should have been realizing God's power, he's getting reckless with his wallet. If you're a Christian, I'm not asking if you've killed lions, but I just want to say this. Has God given you victory before? And if so, what did you do with that? Have the victories he's provided become building blocks to greater growth, or has the enemy helped you forget? In Judges 14, Samson's future still hangs in the balance. God breaks in and says, look, there's a way out of this. We can, we can do this together, Samson, and he misses it. I would tell you today, there's victory in Jesus. If he can help Samson slay a lion, he can help you destroy the sin in your own life. Some questions to consider here. One, have I sought out the Lord and his strength amid the battles I'm facing? How can I lean on his strength instead of my own? Two, when God has given me victories, have I been diligent to remember them, testify of them, and grow from them? So to sidestep the slippery slope of sin, number one, you go to war, not weddings. Secondly, you go for growth, not gambling. And finally, you go to the groom who is gracious. Meet me in verse 15. Samson puts out his, his riddle, and in those days, a, a wedding ceremony lasted seven days. So on day one, he puts out the wager, and here we go, verse 15. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? So they start pressuring his fiance to get the answer. Verse 17, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. And then Samson gets ticked off and he has to pay up. Verse 19, then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Now, if you're familiar with Samson and Delilah, right, then you should be seeing a pattern established right here that's going to repeat 20 years later, and we'll see it in Judges 16. What's the pattern? What's the pattern here? Six steps. Number one, Samson's involved with the wrong woman for the wrong reasons. The Philistines pressure the woman to find out his secrets. The woman pressures Samson. Samson gives in and gives away key intel. Bloodshed ensues, and Samson has to pay a great cost. It's all so avoidable and tragic, but this is the prequel. This is the prequel to the principle of sin 
that Samson has now just put into his life. You say, man, this is dark, though. Where's the hope in this? Where's the gospel in this? Guess what? The gospel is here. Samson is a groom who gets so much wrong. But one of the names of Christ is that he is the bridegroom. And the church, us, we are his bride. And guess what? He doesn't get any of it wrong. I want to show you some ways here we compare and contrast Samson as a groom with Christ, our true bridegroom. Three ways. Number one, there is a true judge named Jesus who seeks out a bride who is an enemy. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. What Samson does for selfish purposes, I want a wife who's from the enemy. Guess what? Jesus does for salvation purposes. We are the unclean. We're the foreigner. I'm the young man lacking sense. Jesus paid my debt. That's a true bridegroom. Secondly, there's a true judge named Jesus who shares his wealth with his bride instead of recklessly gambling it away. Colossians 2 says, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, look at this, Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He shares that with us, doesn't gamble it away. And third, there is a true judge named Jesus who will not abandon his bride to another. John 10, Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Samson is a flawed groom. He gets a lot of it wrong. If you read chapter 13 with his parents, man, it all seems hopeful, and then literally a couple verses into chapter 14, you're like, oh, how does it all go wrong? But this story is pointing us to the gospel. Even here, it's pointing us to the gospel. We could summarize it this way. There actually is a groom who is gracious to his bride. It is Jesus Christ. Go to him for forgiveness, cleansing, restoration, and strength to stand again. Let that be an encouragement for you today. The gospel is real, it's true, and this is what has been done for you. His grace is sufficient. Some questions to think about here. Samson fails to see the prequel to the principle of sin that is being established in his life, have I joined with other believers who can help me to identify possible dangers in my life? Secondly, Jesus, the true judge and deliverer, is gracious to any sinner who turns to him. How can I turn away from my past and towards him today? We've seen three things today from Scripture about how to sidestep the slippery slope of sin. We said we go to war, not weddings. We go for growth, not gambling, and you go to the groom who is gracious. In basketball, if you have the ball, if you're on offense and you have the ball, you're going to be contested. There's going to be a defender, somebody who's trying to stop you from scoring two points or three points. And so if you have the ball and you're being guarded by someone, how do you get past them? You can't just run right through them. That is a foul. That's not allowed. And so if you're familiar, if you've ever played basketball, you know that there's certain moves you can use to get around somebody who's guarding you. One of them is called the crossover. And it goes like this. If I have the ball and I'm dribbling this direction, 
my defender is going to go with me. He's going to try to stop me. But he thinks I'm going to the right. At the right moment, at the blink of an eye, I can cross over, change that dribble, and go this way when he least expects it. You say, Josh, that looks so fast and quick. Could you slow it down for us again? Yes, I will. You're going this way, and when they least expect it, boom, hit them with that crossover, and you're going the other way past them. And sometimes, sometimes, if you do it just right, it's amazing what can happen. The result is your defender can literally fall down. It's the coolest. It's amazing. And then my favorite part, if you've ever played basketball, any hoopers in here, any, any bat, you know that when somebody crosses somebody over, you'll hear people on the sideline or on the bench, and they will yell stuff out like, oh, crossed him, break his ankles. My favorite, when they just shorten it and they just say, ankles, what do they mean? They mean that they're not saying, hey, go break that person's ankle. No, they're saying that the defender, he lost his ankles. Ankles. You use that in your own life. Just fake your wife out going to the kitchen. Ankles. That's awesome. <laughs> if you'll permit me, it's what Samson missed out on. Man, young Samson, his whole life ahead of him, and he's heading towards sin and devastation and brokenness. Right here is a chance for him to cross over, and he misses it. Don't miss that today. Guess what? The Bible uses a word. It's called repent. You know what it means? It means to cross up. It means to change directions. You're going towards sin and brokenness. Boom. Cross over and pursue Christ and holiness and obedience. Cross over. And you know what happens? Jesus tells us in heaven, Jesus says this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who crosses over, Josh Humber translation, then over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Joy in heaven, what does that mean? My theory, there are angels in heaven, and when somebody repents, there's an angel up there saying, oh, ankles, got him, crossed him. When I get to heaven, if I get there before you, just know that if you ever repent, I'm going to be hollering out for you, ankles, because it's exciting. There's joy in heaven when somebody who's heading towards that brokenness turns to Christ instead, crosses over from death to life, from brokenness to wholeness. That's what's available for you today. Samson missed out. Don't miss it. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word. God, thank you that even in the difficult stories, there's truth, there's wisdom, there's encouragement, and there's the gospel. We thank you, Jesus Christ, that you chose to save sinners and enemies like us, like me. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, the ones who, man, they've been going the wrong way, and it's time to, it's time to cross over. It's time to repent. It's time to change directions. I pray that, Lord, today they would see Jesus as better than anything else this world can offer. And they'd be willing to change directions, to stop on a dime, to leave that defender with no ankles. And Father, may they know the joy of their Father in heaven. May they know the joy of heaven as they repent today. Lord, we love you. Hear us as we sing to you now. It's in your name I pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.